Welcome to Meadowbrook Church, loving Jesus by loving people. For more information about who we are, find us online at www.meadowbrook.ca. Well, good morning, everybody. Chris Walker here. I am the teaching pastor at Meadowbrook Church, and this would normally be the sermon time on a Sunday morning, and I'm actually recording it here in my office because uh, if you were here at church this morning on the 18th, we've had a bit of a, just a, a different service happen. We had some missionaries coming from out of town, and uh, they're in a very uh, tough place to be a Christian uh, around the world, and they were supposed to share a 10-minute update, and as they started to share, it was just uh, so incredible. The Holy Spirit was all over their sharing that I just really didn't want to interrupt. I just wanted to hear more about what God was doing. So we called an audible during the service, and I just told them, just take the whole sermon time and just uh, wanted to give them that freedom, and uh, it was just awesome. And so the only downside of that was uh, we're in the middle of a teaching series. Uh, we have our curriculum for our life groups that's also going through it, so uh, we can't just kind of throw away a sermon and, and skip it, uh, because all the life groups this week are going to be going through that sermon for their teaching. And so I am going to record the sermon here, and so the tone might be a little bit different. I'm not up on stage, and so uh, I'm trying to keep it a little bit quiet in the offices as there's others around. And so, uh, But that is me sitting at my desk right now, and uh, I'm still going to go through the teaching and it will line up with the curriculum, and so uh, hopefully you'll be able to track along with that. So uh, if you do have a Bible, you can turn to Luke chapter 16, and we are going to be in the parable of the rich man and Lazarus today. And um, yeah, as we go through, I will just be uh, hitting them on the main points, and we'll walk through the scripture together. Uh, let's pray here for a moment. Father, would you open up our eyes to your word, and would you show us uh, what you are saying to us through your word this morning? Help us to hear what you're saying. Help us to know what it means for our life and help us to walk it out, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So we are uh, just about done our series that we've called Christ Stories, Parables for Today. And we are uh, going to wrap it up next week. Then we'll be heading into Easter. And then we have a few different things happening in the weeks following that. But uh, we have been really focusing on the teachings of Jesus and especially trying to focus on what do they mean for us today? Uh, what does it look like to actually apply this to our lives? Our key verse for the series has been 1 John 2, 6. Whoever claims to live in him must live as Jesus did. So whoever calls the themselves a Christ follower actually needs to live the way Christ did. And so uh, it becomes really important at that point to look at what did he teach us and how did he teach us to live and how do we uh, live that out practically in our own lives. So if we were in the service, I would be showing you a clip from the movie Gladiator right now. And I've shown it before uh, as we have done a series on eternity a couple of years ago. And so it's this opening scene in the movie Gladiator where the general Maximus is rallying his troops and he has this great line in there uh, that's not as cool when I say it as when Russell Crowe says it, but he says, What we do in life echoes in eternity. And it's just one of the coolest movie lines of all time. What we do in life echoes in eternity. And even though he is a, uh, a pagan in this movie and he is a violent man in this movie, uh, he's not overly Christ-like. That's a very Jesus-y line. Like, Jesus could have said that line. What we do in life echoes in eternity. Uh, if you read through the prophets of the Old Testament and the stories there, there's not that much focus on eternity there. It is there. Uh, but the main focus as the prophets come 
come and bring the word of the Lord is basically how do you change your life here on earth? How do you live more righteously? How do you live in a way that's pleasing God here on earth? And so eternity is certainly there. It's just not a main point. And I would say that when Jesus comes, eternity becomes a major part of what he teaches. And he doesn't just focus on what we do here on earth. He ties it all into eternity. The idea that, uh, you know, although not his words, that what we do in life really does have eternal impact. And so let's take a look at our parable today. We're in Luke chapter 16, and we're starting in verse 19, the parable of the rich man and Lazarus. There was a rich man who was dressed in purple and fine linen and lived in luxury every day. At his gate was laid a beggar named Lazarus, covered with sores and longing to eat what fell from the rich man's table. Even the dogs came and licked his sores. The time came when the beggar died and the angels carried him to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried. In Hades, where he was in torment, he looked up and saw Abraham far away with Lazarus by his side. So he called to him, Father Abraham, have pity on me and send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue because I am in agony in this fire. But Abraham replied, Son, remember that in your lifetime you received your good things, while Lazarus received bad things, but now he is comforted here and you are in agony. And besides all this, between us and you, a great chasm has been set in place so that those who want to go from here to you cannot, nor can anyone cross over from there to us. He answered, Then I beg you, Father, send Lazarus to my family, for I have five brothers. Let him warm them, so that they will not also come to this place of torment. Abraham replied, They have Moses and the prophets. Let them listen to them. No, Father Abraham, he said, but if someone from the dead goes to them, they will repent. He said to him, if they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not be convinced, even if someone rises from the dead. So there is a story here of life and eternity, life here on earth and eternity coming together. And uh, and it's one of those pictures that, yeah, what we do in life really does have eternal impact. And so uh, in verse 19, it starts off here on earth. And verse 19 talks about there's a rich man who lives in luxury uh, at his gate, at his doorstep. There is a man named Lazarus who is a beggar. He has nothing to eat. He's covered with sores. He's sick. The dogs come and lick his sores. Like He's in a low place in life. Uh, And as both of these men die, it says that the beggar Lazarus is taken to Abraham's side. The rich man is taken to Hades. They die around the same time. And in the Bible, there is, um, excuse me, there is a lot of talk uh, of eternity kind of from here on out uh, in the the New Testament. The Old Testament, uh, there is this idea of what's called Sheol, uh, which is sometimes in most modern translations uh, written as the grave. Uh, so you hear the psalmist say, you know, Lord, do not let me go down to the grave. Do not let me go to Sheol. And the Jewish people had this kind of understanding that there was kind of like a holding place for the dead. Uh, there was a place you went to when you died. And it wasn't your permanent place, but it was kind of the the temporary holding place. And that's what we're seeing here uh, in this picture, that, that Lazarus is not going to heaven and the rich man going to hell. Uh, because the Bible says heaven wasn't open until after Jesus died. Jesus had to die before heaven could be open to everybody. The Bible also says that hell, as we traditionally understand it, the lake of fire for all eternity, uh, doesn't happen until the final judgment. It doesn't happen until the end of time. But the Jewish people 
people through the Old Testament, and we see it at play here, had this understanding that there was kind of a temporary holding place uh, until heaven and hell could actually become a reality. And so, uh, you know, it's called Abraham's side in here. Um, the traditional theological term has been Adri- Ab- Abraham's bosom, uh, you know, Abraham holding you close to his chest kind of thing. Uh, and if you grew up Catholic, you would have learned that in your catechism. So there was Abraham's side, which is where the righteous dead went to wait for heaven to be open. And then there was Hades, where the unrighteous went to wait until the final judgment when they would be sent to hell forever. And so this is sometimes called the intermediary place. Uh, And it talks about this in Peter uh, when it says that Jesus, when he died, he went to the prison and he preached to the souls. Most theologians think this is kind of what that's talking about. Not that Jesus went uh, to hell, because hell doesn't technically happen until the final judgment. But Jesus went to the temporary holding place uh, where there obviously is an element of paradise and an element of torment still in place, even if it's not the final heaven and the final hell. And so there's this temporary place that uh, we are visiting. We get a glimpse of eternity in this scene and where their eternity has begun. And so uh, in this story, it's hard to underestimate how difficult this part would have been for anyone listening at the time, because the Jewish faith at the time uh, had this understanding that if you were blessed in this life, it's because God was pleased with you. If you weren't blessed in this life, it's because God was angry with you. And so if you had money and if you had comfort and you had luxury, it was because you lived a good life and God was happy with you and was rewarding you. But if you lived in poverty or sickness, then you must have done something uh, because God's wrath was sitting upon you. And so there's a real uh, plot twist in this parable where if you were listening to the first part of the story and you went, well, here's Lazarus at the doorstep of the rich man and he's covered with sores and he's got no money and he's got no food, your initial impact would be, well, God's obviously angry with this person. And then there's the rich man who lives in luxury every day and dresses in purple and fine linen and this man is obviously blessed and loved by God, so he must be doing good things. And then when these guys die, the reverse happens of what you would expect. The man who looked like he was walking in God's blessing is in Hades. The man who looked like uh, he didn't have any of God's blessing winds up in, in Abraham's bosom. He winds up in the place that is going to prepare him ultimately for heaven. And so... There is, uh, there is very much a, a plot twist for the listeners of the time, and uh, and we do still struggle with that thinking a little bit, that, you know, if good things happen to us, it's because God is happy with us. If bad things happen, God must be mad at us. Like, that still lingers in the, the Church of North America, and so uh, when you see people who are really wealthy, you know, it's very easy to look at them and say, wow, look how God is blessing them. And it's not that he's not blessing them, uh, if we believe that everything good comes from God, but... Um, we can think, well, they must be doing good things or they must be really righteous and that's why God is blessing them so much. Um, when we struggle, when we enter trials, when we enter suffering, one of our first questions is often, God, what did I do? Like, how did I make you angry? Why is your favor lifted from me? And and it can be that. Like, the Bible does say that, yes, sometimes trials come because we're reaping the consequences of our action. But if we have a mentality that says, you know, good behavior will lead to good rewards, it's just that simple, and bad behavior will lead to judgment, it's just that simple, then you have a really hard time explaining the life of Jesus, who lived literally did nothing wrong and yet still walked the path of suffering. That if, you know, doing good things leads to reward without question, 
uh, then Jesus is hard to explain because Jesus walked the path of suffering. And so when we look at Jesus, we say, well, Jesus, um, you know, entered into the consequence of sin and he suffered willingly and he suffered in order to undo evil and in order to disarm evil and to dismantle sin and dismantle death. But he, Jesus, his life kind of undoes that thinking. Um, I grew up for a little while in a word faith church and the whole word faith movement was just a lot of if you have faith and if you believe and if you do good, God will bless you. Um, but they never talked about the suffering side of Jesus that much or the suffering of the apostles in the early church, the persecution that Christians face all over the world. Uh, they're not suffering because they've done anything wrong. They're suffering for doing what is right. But the world is still evil and the world is still fallen. And so we still struggle and we still suffer here in this life. And so Jesus encourages us in that sense that just because we are suffering doesn't mean we've done anything wrong. And it's certainly good to take a look at our hearts and just say, Lord, are, are you are you disciplining me for something? Is there anything in my life where I'm reaping the consequences of my action? But we should never assume that just because we're sick or just because we're lacking anything or just because we're, uh, you know, struggling financially, that it's because we are, uh, you know, under judgment or under discipline. That wasn't the case for Jesus suffering. That wasn't the case for Lazarus's suffering in our story today. And as Lazarus suffers, the heartbreaking part of this is that there was relief available for him. He was literally at the doorstep of a man who easily could have taken care of him. And Lazarus is there, and the word says he just longed for the scraps from the rich man's table. Uh, nobody ever gave him anything. And and so uh, that's the heartbreak of this, is there was, there was need and there was provision, and they were right beside each other, and they never came together. And there's no way the rich man couldn't have known what was going on. Lazarus is, is at his gate. Lazarus is literally on his doorstep. You can't leave your house without going past Lazarus. The rich man had the ability to help and didn't do anything. Uh, all of that suffering, the sores, those things could have been dealt with, and the rich man did not lift a finger to do anything. And so the challenge comes to us then, who's on my doorstep? Who is Lazarus in my life? Where is there somebody around me? And maybe like the rich man, I'm walking past this person every day, knowing that they're there, but not really paying close enough attention. Where is there someone on my doorstep? who is hurting, who is lacking, who is suffering, who is struggling? Where is there a Lazarus on my doorstep? And what can I do to help alleviate some of that suffering and some of that struggle here on earth? Jesus teaches us in the golden rule, Matthew 7, 12, do to others as you would have them do to you. That still remains an amazing motivator and an amazing way to judge our lives. Do to others as you would have them do to you. So if I am Lazarus, you know, poor and starving and sick and covered with sores, how would I want to be treated in that moment? Well, certainly I would hope that somebody would come and bring me a meal or somebody would slip me a few dollars or certainly the rich man could have, you know, brought me in to stay in one of the the rooms of your palace um if you were in that person's shoes how would you want to be treated it's the nature of empathy to put yourself in someone else's place and so where there is in our lives people who are sick and people who are poor and people who are depressed and people who are suffering and people who are needy uh, people who are, are struggling financially emotionally spiritually physically whatever wherever there are people in our lives who are lacking in some way what am I doing to avoid the error of the rich man in this story where can I show that person practice the love and care and compassion of Jesus Christ. So the rich man finds himself in, in Hades. 
which again isn't hell it's kind of the pre-hell waiting place for people who have been unrighteous and he is in torment scripture says and so he cries out to abraham uh somehow he's aware that he can see uh that there is a paradise available and there is goodness available but he can't get there and so he cries out to abraham can lazarus just come and and bring me uh, a drop of water is there any comfort that can bring me but abraham says no we can't in verse 25 he says son to the rich man remember that in your lifetime you received your good things while Lazarus received bad things, but now he is comforted here, and you are in agony. And there's this great chasm in place. We can't cross over at this point. There's no do-overs at this point. There's no mulligans. Once our life here ends, that our life in earth, on earth determines our eternity, and there's no way to undo that once we pass from this earth into the next life. And so uh, there's a finality to it. And, and yet we see again this theme that what we do in life echoes in eternity. And so the first part of the story of the rich man and Lazarus is about there's blessings and sufferings in this life here on earth. There are those who have much and those who have little. There are those who, who have a lot of great things going for them. There are those who just struggle and struggle and struggle. So there is blessings and sufferings here on earth. But the story continues and tells us there are also blessings and sufferings in eternity. And forgive the obvious statement, but eternity is way longer than any time we have here on this earth. So there are times of, of plenty and times of lack here on earth. Uh, there's blessings and sufferings in eternity as well. And what we do on earth echoes in that eternity. Jesus says in Matthew 19.30, Many that are first shall be last, many that are the last shall be first. And he would say elsewhere, there's going to be surprises in heaven. There's going to be people who thought they were in that are not in. There's going to be people that you wouldn't think would get in, but they're going to get in. Because uh, some of the most righteous and religious looking people uh, did not actually grab a hold of Jesus. And some of the, the tax collectors and the prostitutes and the people whose life were a total mess were the ones who did grab a hold of Jesus. And so there's going to be surprises at Judgment Day. Uh, and there's encouragement here in our suffering. Many that are first shall be last. Many that are last shall be first. And if we're feeling like we're the last, we can have some confidence and faith and hope in the idea that God will set it right one day. Now, anyone listening in the time of Jesus as he shared this story has probably heard something of the Pharisees uh, in the rich man in this story. That the Pharisees were literally wealthy. They, they sought wealth. They sought prestige. They sought honor. And they, uh, on paper, had everything. And they also shared in that mentality that said, we have all these things because we are doing good. And because we're doing good, God is blessing us. Uh, and they're also a mentality that if you're suffering, you probably deserve it. Uh, so that was a reason not to help the beggar at your gate. That was a reason not to assist the person on your doorstep, was to say, well, if they are being judged by God, far be it for us to step in and help in any way. Uh, they're reaping what they sow, they are getting what they deserve, and so they are, uh, you know, for us to step in there is actually getting in the way of God's judgment on their character, and we don't want to do that. So we'll enjoy our wealth and luxury, uh, we will let people suffer as they suffer, and Jesus here is saying that is not how the kingdom of God works. Uh, the Pharisees as well had people on their own doorstep who were struggling and suffering and they would not lift a finger to help them. And so eternity for the Pharisees was not necessarily going to be what they thought it was going to be. Uh, Jesus is challenging their ideas that said, well, we do good and therefore God loves us and therefore we'll be in heaven forever. Uh, the rich man found out that that was not the case. And so there is a warning here of presuming 
that our own deeds can do anything or presuming that the blessings we receive in this life are because of our good deeds or presuming that our suffering in this life is because of bad things that we've done. Jesus turns all of this upside down. So the rich man says to Abraham, you know, send Lazarus to help me. And Abraham says he can't. He says, send Lazarus to warn my brothers. And Abraham says that can't happen either. Abraham says they have the law and the prophets. They have Moses and the prophets. In other words, they have the scripture. Uh, Law and the prophets was a nickname for the scripture back then. So uh, Abraham says, listen, they've got the word of God. The word of God will point them to how to get to heaven. So let them listen to the word of God. Uh, But the rich man persists in verse 30. Father Abraham, if someone from the dead goes to them, they will repent. He said to him, if they don't listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not be convinced even if someone rises from the dead. And uh, you might have picked up on there's a bit of a nod to Jesus there in that last part that even if someone rises from the dead, some people will still not believe tragically. Uh, And that was Jesus experience as well. When Jesus was here on earth, he did not win everybody over. Even when Jesus rose from the dead, uh, there were still doubters and there were still people who rejected the gospel message, even in the light of Jesus life and the the resurrection and the book of Acts, which which uh, followed up after Jesus rose from the dead. I mean, there are miracles, there are incredible things happening, there are testimonies of changed lives and transformation, and yet even then there were some who would not believe. So Abraham says here, someone rising from the dead, you would think that would be a game changer, but there will still be those who harden their hearts to it. And tragically, that is the case today, that there are still those who have uh, rejected the message and rejected Jesus. Even Jesus couldn't win everybody over. Uh, And that should, I mean, break our hearts, maybe first and foremost. That should also uh, allow us to just take the pressure off ourselves, to to let ourselves off the hook. I don't mean that in a bad way, but just in the understanding that I I can't save everybody. Even Jesus uh, was not able to win everybody over. And so if he couldn't, that means that if I can't, uh, I shouldn't take that burden on myself that I have failed or that I uh, I could have done more. I mean, I mean, I guess certainly take a look at that and maybe there's some truth there. But if Jesus couldn't win everybody over, then, then I'm not going to be able to win everybody over either. Uh, so that takes the pressure off. So this parable wraps up with this nod to Jesus. And this idea, what we do in life, echoes in eternity. Uh, This is a story that begins in this life and then continues on into eternity. Uh, And we see the the picture that what we do here on earth has major impact on eternity. And it's not that the rich man was was sent to Hades, uh, you know, because he ignored Lazarus. It's not necessarily that, um, because we would believe that our eternity is set ultimately by Uh, by the faith that we have, that we trust in God and we trust in Jesus. But at the same time, there's a a picture coming together that, um, you know, if we do believe in Jesus, that should affect the way we live. If the rich man trusted in God and was trying to honor God with his life, then he would have probably taken care of Lazarus. Uh, The fact that he didn't speaks more about his heart and his relationship with God. And that's challenging for us too, because none of us live this Jesus life perfectly. But as we have faith in Jesus, the book of James says, that faith should be translating itself into action. 
that as we trust in Jesus and follow after him, there should be spillover from that. If we really believe in him, then that's going to change the way we live our lives. Again, our key verse, 1 John 2, 6, whoever claims to live in him must live as Jesus did. Whoever calls himself a Christ follower actually needs to follow after Christ, actually needs to do that. And so there are, it's kind of a, in some ways, almost like a, a scared straight uh, story here of just just remember that what you do in life really does echo in eternity. It challenges us uh, with how we live our lives here on earth. And, and we are challenged to look to our doorstep, to look around and say, where are there people in our lives that we can reach out to, that we can alleviate their suffering uh, out of our trust and out of our faith in Jesus? How are we going to love people uh, the way he loved us in a sacrificial way that's willing to be inconvenienced, that's willing to reach out to those who uh, we might even think are the least among us or stricken by God? Where can we help? We have an email address here at Meadowbrook, uh, questions at meadowbrook.ca. Be happy to answer any questions that you have uh, and keep this conversation going. So a couple of things as we wrap up here. The first is to ask ourselves the question, where is your eternity? Where are you being set? Uh, where, if you were to die today, are you going to land uh, on the other side? Because as this story teaches us, there's no second chances after we pass from this life. So are you confident that your home is going to be with Jesus, with Abraham, in paradise? Uh, is there any concern that your end date might be with uh, Hades and hell and torment and separation from God? Because the gospel uh, comes to save us from that fear. Jesus comes to save us from that worry. And where the Bible says clearly that if we will trust in Jesus, if we will follow Jesus, then we will follow him right into eternity with him. That even as we struggle and stumble in this Christian walk, that if we have uh, submitted to him as Lord of our lives, and if we will follow after his ways, uh, not perfectly, uh, we all still sin, but with everything we have, if we will order our lives to, to live his way, we will follow him, not just in this life, we will follow him to eternity forever. Uh, and on the flip side of that, if we don't receive that gift of, of eternity, if we don't receive that gift of the forgiveness of our sins, if we reject that gift, we are, we are given the ability to do that. But then if we die, we die as sinners and sinners will be punished in eternity. So Jesus has offered an out for everybody here on earth. He has said, trust me, believe me and follow me and you will follow me to eternity. So the first thing this parable does is challenge us there. Uh, and I wouldn't want you, if you're listening to this, to not be able to answer that question clearly. And if the question, if the answer to that question is either I don't know, I'm not sure, or I think it would be uh, the place of torment for eternity for me, uh, then I encourage you certainly get in touch with us or get in touch with a believer that you know uh, to talk more about this because it can be as simple as praying this prayer from your heart. Jesus, I believe in you. I trust you to save me and I will follow after you. I will bow my knee to you as Lord and I will walk in your ways. Forgive me my sins. Lift the, the shame of my sin from me. Uh, cleanse me and help me to walk in the pure and holy way that you want me to. In Jesus' name, amen. And then from there to actually go and do that, to start to order our lives the way that Jesus wants us to live. 
So that is the first part of where we are challenged in this parable. The second part is, uh, is the recognition that the rich man missed that there was somebody on his doorstep who needed help. And he had the means to help and he didn't do a thing. So for us to look at our lives and say, where is there someone on my doorstep? Who is Lazarus to me in my life? Where is there someone suffering, struggling, in need, weak, uh, needing encouragement, needing some money, needing some care, needing a hug, needing something that I could give? Uh, Where is Lazarus on my doorstep in my life? And what can I do in order to step out and, and help them in some way? Don't let this be an abstract thought. Uh, We don't have to save the world. We can't save the world. It's not on us to save the world. It's Jesus' job to save the world. It's my job to look to my own doorstep and look to love and bless and serve the way Jesus has served others. And that's what I want to do in my life. So where is there someone on my doorstep? Who is Lazarus to me? And today, what can I do to go and ease their suffering in this life a little bit? Out of my faith and devotion to Jesus and out of my love for other people that I'm called to do in Scripture. So that is our sermon today. Uh, Sorry, again, the format was a little different. If you were here on the Sunday morning, I'm sure you would agree uh, that everything that our guest said was far more important than anything I could have to say today. It was just we needed to hear from them what God had for us today. Uh, But this is part of our sermon series. And so hopefully it has been helpful for you as you jump into your life groups this week. Uh, Please be focusing on just the very practical application of this. And we will be back in the pulpit again, Lord willing, uh, next Sunday. I guess I shouldn't say that for sure, but uh, we will plan to be there to wrap up our series next Sunday. God bless you. Have a wonderful week, and may the Lord reveal himself to you in Jesus' name.